Aloha, I'm Marcia Sortino. Welcome to Pay Radio, talk radio worth listening to. To all our regular listeners, thank you for coming back. To all our new listeners, congratulations. You just discovered one of the most powerful talk radio shows there is. As we get ready for this class, I suggest you find something to take notes with. Every show is packed with all sorts of inspiring, insightful ideas, ahas, and breakthroughs. While you find some paper and a pen, I wonder, how many people do you know are paid to learn, then paid to teach what they learn? I'll put that another way. I'm both a student and a teacher of Pay Me What I'm Worth. By the time I complete my class as a student, the money I'm paid to teach Pay Me What I'm Worth will cover what I paid Seoul University, and then some. At the end of our class, I'll tell you how to become a paid student and teacher for this life-changing journey. It's time to meet my class. We decided to be collectively known as Team Seekers. Here they are. This is Cindy Ashwine from Slingerland, New York. Thank you for joining us on our radio show. I hope that you will be inspired by what you hear today. Kyle Davis, Lewiston, Maine. Hey, everybody. Green Mays, and I am from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. This is David H. Paul from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hello, Chris Peters, and I'm from Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. Aloha. This is Rick Rodriguez from the Big Island of Hawaii. Aloha. Cheryl here, coming to you from the Big Island of Hawaii, where we have lots of beautiful waterfalls, rainbows, and a live volcano. Hello, everybody. This is Agnes Talley in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're the home of the dogwood tree with its beautiful white flowers in the spring of the year. And finally, aloha. Sol here, author of Pay Me What I'm Worth and Marsha's co-pilot on this journey. I hope we've given you enough time to grab a pad of paper and a pen to take notes. Our class starts now. One of the more fascinating things that I have enjoyed over the last 10 years of teaching is having a nuanced dialogue and dance with a five-letter word that starts with P as in Tom. Five-letter word starts with T as in Tom and ends in T as in Tom. Anybody know what word I might be thinking of? Cat. What is chapter 8 all about? <laughs> trust. 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 Oh, there we go. Isn't that what contracts are all about? Yeah. If I trust myself to make a good contract for myself, yes. Something that I can actually do by not overcomplicating it and keeping it simple for myself. Exactly. I'd like us to really wrestle with this concept, trust. Maybe beginning with a reality check with what do you think I'm doing in exercise two when I ask you to sign your own contract to yourself? And how does that relate to this topic of trust? The contract is meant to point me to me and say, do do I trust myself? And am I willing to explore that? Then I'm going to maximize everything I can get out of pay me what I'm worth. Am I willing to go there? David, when you first got in touch with that, 
And this applies to everybody. I'd like to hear some feedback about this. Did I rattle your cage with that exercise? Yeah, in a way. I don't know if it was you rattling my cage or if it was me rattling my cage. It's kind of hard uh-huh. to tell. Uh, wake-up calls happen inside of me. It's got nothing to do with Mr. Soul Dancer. It has nothing to do with Mr. David H. Paul. But those words, that presentation, I can no longer keep the vision outside myself. I've got to turn it back on me. Who's the most important person in my life? Me. The only person I can help is myself. So it's affirming and frightening, possibly in equal measures? Yes. Okay. Carl, we're talking about the trust that Carl Davis has with Carl Davis. I trust my inner self in almost everything. (laughs) Mm. And so I don't trust myself in everything I do. I've let people into my life that I really thought I could trust, and I couldn't trust them. And the example is I got hurt by that. Hurt is not a good thing when you live alone and you don't know how to deal with that hurt. So the only way I can deal with it is I have to go meditate. I have to meditate it out of me. It gives me that time to slow down my thinking long enough which is very hard to do. (laughs) So that's the reason why I don't always trust in my judgment when it comes to people. I read what they're going to do. I'm taking them in a sincerity mode, and they're not sincere. See, now we shifted back outside again. I'd like you to keep the focus on you. It's awful hard for me to do that. Oh, God. Carl, take a break for a minute. I want to ask the rest of the team. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to learn from you whether or not you find it valuable to keep the mirror focused strictly on yourself when it comes to this issue of trust. Did that question make any sense? It did make a lot of sense, so I find it absolutely critical. It's the most important thing that I can do. This course, this process, isn't about anybody else but me, for me. One of my habits is to shame and blame and guilt and do all that other good doubt and all that stuff, and that welcomes in looking outside myself for the answers when that's not the place to look. What I've been doing through this whole process is sharpening the focus on me, inside of me. Who am I? What am I all about? What do I really want? And how am I going to get it? Mm -hmm. So, David, you're saying that by keeping this focus on the concept of trust on an inner level, in many ways acting like a cleansing program, is that an accurate statement? Absolutely, yeah. It's beginning to cleanse away the escape routes. It's beginning to cleanse away the excuses. It's cleansing away the expectations. And it's ripening into agreements, right? It's ripening into a newborn entity that's never been seen before, and the world's been waiting for it. Thank you. Thank you. Who else has a reflection on this crazy fixated notion that trust is a dish that is served from the inside out. <laughs> I do. 
It absolutely is. Many years ago, before I even heard about self-development, I went through periods where I did not know if I trusted my own judgment because of what the book told me to do was to sign this contract to myself to leave the doubt, the shame, the worry, and the guilt. Just leave it out of the picture. Having the growth that I've had, especially starting with Christina's class and continuing on, I feel that trust in myself. It's growing. It has grown. And it's grown exponentially because I look at it as the explorer turning on and really allowing me to feel through what I need to feel through. I don't know how to explain that. How do you feel through something, right? The inner self guiding, helping me to feel through things and get through things and do the things I want to do. And it's because of personal development, definitely. So trust for you, Marcia, if I'm hearing you correctly, is providing you a sense of grace. Yes. Uh-huh. That's another term we haven't really talked much about, grace. We'll get more into that grace concept in our next chapter when we talk about ethics and integrity. I learned, Amy, what I'm worth brought home the point, this process that we're all going through to trust my own intuition. Because a lot of times I, I found that in my life I knew intuitively what was good for me and what I wanted to do, what made me happy, what produced the results I wanted to get. But then that I was letting other external things influence my decisions and I wasn't listening to my intuition. I used my intuition to get the results that I felt I deserved. Ladies and gentlemen, do you recall last week when I asked all of you if you've ever played a game of dominoes? Remember that? Yeah. yeah. And what happens when one domino falls? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Dominoes is an absolutely fascinating, physical, tangible way to explore this notion that we're all connected. We've heard that in the metaphysical world before, yeah? That we're all interconnected in some ways. Yes, there is no separation. Separation is an illusion. So our contracts, when we start thinking of contracts, contracts are formed at the very core level to provide structure, right? Yes, structure and stability. So contracts are formed to create structure because there is a sense of safety with structure. Yeah? That which I put my attention to is a contract that I'm creating with my divine self. Whatever I'm giving my attention to, whatever I'm focusing my energy on, it must mean I want it, right? Right. Yeah, that's right. So if I'm continually focusing on getting out of debt, then I must want to spend the rest of my life focused on getting out of debt. So I will be in debt for the rest of my life. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I've got what I wanted because I'm focused on what I want. I want to be out of debt. 
Well, because I'm focused on being out of debt, clearly I want to be in debt so that I can focus on being out of debt. Game over. Follow? Follow. (laughs) What am I doing with you all on this journey when it comes to contracts? Is it fair to say that I'm asking you to look at every bloody contract you've ever made with yourself? And how's that working for you? (laughs) Yes. Accountability. Let's take a trip down memory lane. Chapter one. Chapter one, we looked at what? Our stuff. Our stuff. Physical stuff. Yep. Touch it, taste it, see it, smell it, poop and pee it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yes. Concrete. 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 Chris, what contract do you have with your physical stuff? Well, I rent this house, yeah. So that's one contract. So you have one contract that covers the safety of all of your physical goods, right? Yes. What other contracts are in play because of your physical world? Do you enjoy water and electricity? Obviously, you do enjoy electricity or you wouldn't be on the call. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I'm assuming you have heat and or air conditioning. I have heat, yep, and I have an air conditioner. So you've got a contract with whatever it is that takes to do that, right? Hydro, yep. If something threatens your physical world, what will you do? Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to physical contracts, like rent, like a mortgage, like bills, if there's something that threatens my ability to pay, quote, my bills, thus it threatens my ability to have the physical space that I think I need to feel safety in and it can house my stuff I now know where some of my points of worth decay are how much am I going to juggle my contracts such that how much of my time my life am I going to give to my work so that my stuff is safe is this making any sense or is this getting too esoteric it's making sense to me makes sense to me yeah. Makes total sense. So okay. when I am in a relationship with you and I have to put you off again and again and again, I'm, I'm missing lunch dates or dinner dates or, or whatever it is that my contracts that I have with you, I'm breaking or adjusting because I've got to work overtime. I've got to travel. I've got to do what it takes to keep the money coming in to keep the bills paid. Are the pieces of the puzzle about Chapter 8 beginning to come together yet? They are for me. I never really created a contract to myself. I've always been pressured to sign something or to go with the flow of something. When I actually started working with this chapter and looking back at when I first wrote my contract and when I looked at my physical stuff, how would I treat that? Do I have an attachment to that? Yes, what is that? And really looking at, I need to set boundaries. I need to set expectations, and I need to set a way that I want to be treated, because if I don't, people are not going to know either, or they'll take advantage of it, which I've had both. Kareem, in your mind, what is your definition of an expectation? A pre-agreement scenario. Oh! I... <laughs> wow. mixing no, a little no. slippery slope in this. Okay. Oh, All well, right. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like I'm going to get, like, the after thing of March is going to call me, hey, Kareem, expectations and agreements. I'm like, no. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, this this, this opened like, up a really good topic, expectations. Ladies and gentlemen, what are your definitions uh, of expectations? Let me role play with Chris. Mr. Chris Peters. Yeah. Let me set a scenario for you. Let me set the stage. Let's pretend you and I have known each other for a decade, okay? And throughout that decade's time, Chris, you know me to be a person that, barring earthquakes, tsunamis, floods, fires, some natural disaster, if I tell you that I'm going to be at your house at noon, I'm at your house probably by a quarter to noon, if not noon. And that's the way it's been for a decade, right? Yeah. But I've never made that agreement with you. Maybe I say, let's get together for lunch. And then based on your history with me, you equate lunch equal sign noon. You're expecting me at your house at noon, even though I told you I'm just going to show up for lunch. Right. right. Yep. Now the day comes that I've said that I'll meet you for lunch and I completely blow you off. Now what? I'd be surprised. I might phone you and say, hey, man, what's up? Are you still coming over? But I wouldn't be all pissed off about it. Now let's turn up the heat a little bit. Let's turn up the heat. We still know each other for a decade. I live two doors down from you. You tell me, hey, you're taking a trip and you need a ride at the airport. And I say, great, what day? And you tell me. And I say, what time do you think you need to be at the airport? And you tell me. And then we shift the topic and we talk about something else. Because I've shown up at your house in the past to take you to the airport, it's almost like money in the bank, right? Follow? Got it. So the day comes that you need to get to the airport, and I no-show. Now what? Uh, I guess I'm calling a cab. (laughs) Or I'm getting on a bus. No, I, I get where you're going with it. It's about trust. My reason for really getting into the difference between expectations and agreements is to highlight something that's really key when it comes to contracts. Contracts can breed. Contracts are designed to form agreements. That makes sense, right? Most contracts, you agree to do this by this by this, correct? Yes. However, if I've made a contract with you, And I never revisit that contract. Marsha, let's say you and I are sharing a home space. And as we get settled in, we sit down and we talk about house chores and things like that. And and we talk about what we like to do and what we don't like to do. And we come up with a list of things that, all right, I'll take over this, this, and this. And you'll take over that, that, and that. And it seems like we've agreed on those household chores. Follow so far? Yes. In essence, we've created a contract. Right. Right? Right. Then the months go on, and you begin to notice that some of those things that you thought I agreed to, I'm kind of slipping on it. Right? Right. What begins to happen in your mind? I suppose the first thing I would wonder is if something is happening on your end that is causing a problem where you're forgetting or you're just not doing what you agreed to do. I mean, there has got to be a, a reason for something happening like that. If we formed an agreement and everything was okay for a while, and then it, something changes. Maybe it's a change, and I don't know about it. You have not communicated with me. 
My point that I'm trying to tickle out of this is contracts must have, I repeat, must have a review date on it so that expectations are addressed. If my agreement to take the trash out every week starts slipping, it's easier for Marsha to go, God, what a sloth. Why isn't he taking out the garbage? You agree to take out the garbage. What a pig. What a, what's, what? You have the expectation, Marsha, that because I told you I was going to be taking out the garbage, I should right. be taking out the garbage, right? right? It's like it's engraved in stone now. So we'll take out the garbage. Now he's not. Damn it. What's the problem, right? You're right. <laughs> right there, there is how an agreement gets tainted with an expectation because we haven't talked about our original agreements. Agreements are organic, ladies and gentlemen. And one of the things that I really want to make clear as you get into Chapter 8 is as you're forming your contracts, there's got to be the space in that contract to grow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So as I'm weaving this all together, in the scenario that I set up with Chris, I set up what would be a perceived pattern. Right, Chris? Yes. Yes, a pattern of that we're friends and I can trust you. Right. Yeah. Where along in our journey so far have we looked at patterns? Timeline, chapter four. Big, big time timeline, but throughout the entire thing, we've been looking for patterns. I found chapter four was more focused on it than anything else. Yep, chapter four is the, is the crescendo on patterns, but David, you're right. I've been teasing out patterns all right. the way through, haven't I? How do patterns influence contracts? Patterns bring up the expectations in us. (laughs) Or they do for me. The patterns bring up expectations in me. Mm -hmm. Now, if I notice I have a pattern in constantly adjusting my agreements, oh, now what? If you've noticed, part of the way that I've set you up for Chapter 8, is it fair to say I've asked you to dredge up and become more conscious of your patterns? Yeah. 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 (laughs) When you start looking at a contract, it's influenced by patterns. A contract tells me what you're afraid of. And what you're afraid of is broken patterns. Follow? Yes. Like the same idea as when I could not trust my judgment because they always felt like they were broken. I broke so many of them myself. Mm -hmm. Tonight's conversation isn't real clear-cut point A to point B, point B to point C like I have in the book. Having the book spell out to you exactly what is a performance-based contract, having the ability to put together a performance-based contract that it's pretty lockstep in how to create one gives a sense of structure. But that structure is only meant to be like a clothesline where you hang things on it. I don't know if you've ever noticed if you've ever used a clothesline, but when you hang things on a clothesline, things tend to flap around a bit, right? (laughs) Your task in Chapter 8 is to think about how do you trust yourself? Where are you at with trusting yourself? Because that's where it begins. One of the things that Cheryl brought up in a wonderful blog post is 
a contract is no good if you can't really trust another person, right? Right. Right. Why would you yeah, make contracts with people that yeah. aren't going to fulfill them? And it's a cool chapter because it really made me look at all the contracts that I have, all the contracts that I had, my performance-based contracts and tax stuff and all that stuff. It made me realize that even though that Cheryl and I have never signed a contract, that there are nonverbal contracts that we have exactly. had and, and gone by for our whole relationship together. So I really appreciated this chapter in that it really helped me culminate my awareness of contracts, not only contracts with other entities, but my own personal commitment to myself. So I, I like this one. Have you noticed that the contracts that I'm suggesting you create starts with the contract with yourself? Yeah. Did you notice that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, it has to. So any performance-based contract written starts with your level of trust with yourself. <laughs> it, it does. And knowing that because I'm focused on that trust in myself and really staying true to that, that chances are a lot higher I'm going to attract people into my life that are doing the same. But then I can check. I can ask some questions like Soul Dancer does when he interviews people to come and join him in a class. Did you understand a positive penalty, that concept? Yeah. I do. I did. No. Carl, what is a household chore that you just can't stand? Washing dishes. So on your task list, when it comes to completing that task list, if washing dishes is on your task list, that's probably the last thing that's going to get done, right? No, I get it done and get it over with. That way, I don't have to think about it again. <laughs> okay, give me something that. You really do hate doing. What do I hate doing? I hate doing <laughs> sweeping when I can't hardly stand and pulling the broom across the floor. I can't stand that. It's so belittling to me. I feel like because of my disability that it makes it difficult for me to do those things. So a, an example then of a positive penalty for Carl in a performance-based contract would be whatever the contract is, and if you fail to do what you said you're going to do, is you're going to add two more minutes of walking time to your walking schedule. So if you yeah. made a contract with me and you didn't follow through with the contract, the penalty, a positive penalty, one of many thousands of ways of thinking of positive penalties, is doing something for yourself that has a positive end result, yeah? Yes, most definitely so. Thank you. So when it comes to the penalty, I'm back-ending a reward, aren't I? Yeah. Sure. Follow? Follow. Yeah. Any idea why I throw that concept out there? If it's still fun to play, then it's okay to continue to explore. Exactly. And it honors my contract with you. At the very beginning of this book, I talked about doubt, guilt, shame, and worry. Did I not? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. So if you start writing penalties that inspire doubt, guilt, shame, and worry, doesn't that make me a hypocrite? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh -huh.
And if you find that flaw in my formula and your analyzer gets a hold of that, now what? Poor soul. Poor soul. Feel sorry for you. Think about this. In those moments where it's tempting to say, screw it, you're looking for an out. And your analyzer finds a flaw in the formula. Isn't that an easy way to take it out? No, there's a flaw in every formula. That's probably the, the juice of it. By asking you to form a contract with yourself, I've now made you the judge and jury. I've removed myself from that process, haven't I? You've empowered me to step into my own control step into my own growth, step into my own responsibility. David Paul's doing it. He's really doing it now. You can see it. You can feel it. David, go for it, man. I just see that the light came on for him. Yeah. You know, just like he said this last week. And he got out of his way. Holy shit. I'm going to do that one time. <laughs> I want to end our conversation on performance-based contracts with reminding ourselves of compassion, of grace, kindness, right? Right. When I say yeah. grace, I'm curious, when you hear the word grace, is there a particular definition that comes into mind for you? They sound like the same words, don't they? Well, they're not, though, because compassion and kindness are two different things, I think. I think compassion is having empathy or sympathy for someone's situation, and kindness is an expression of gratuity and giving. Okay. Give me an example of grace. Helping somebody who's helped you out and knowing that they'll be there for you. I would think that's gratitude. Okay. Unmerited favor. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. When someone is graceful with you, how do you know it? I feel it. You feel like you don't deserve it, but they're still being graceful to you. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've had quite a few martial art teachers, and I was trying to think of the most compassionate one. And so I went through all of them, and they made us do all crazy stuff. But the most compassionate martial arts teacher that I had was a guy that beat the crap out of me two days a week for six months. Once I was done and ready, I mean, I'm talking about getting the crap beat out of you now from a third-degree black belt that went to Vietnam, okay? After six months of sparring with him two times a week, I was able to become my own person. And there became a day where I knocked him down. That day, I was able to take my test. You wouldn't think of him as being compassionate because I broke things and bruised things, and it wasn't a very good way of being compassionate to me. But I have never been afraid of anyone because of the training I got from this man. He was six foot four, two hundred and forty pounds, and I'm five foot six, one hundred and thirty. 
and he's about the most compassionate person that I can think of. So it's sort of weird. Good stuff. Mahalo, Rick. This concept of grace is one that art that I was completely clueless of in my initial stages, in my 20s and 30s. I was so clueless of the grace my teachers were giving me. And it had a rubber band effect to me. Because in my 40s, I began to see how their grace allowed me to be less than kind, less than compassionate, less than grace, graceful. Even though I thought I was being kind, I thought I was being compassionate, I thought I was being graceful. And I wasn't. And they allowed me to be that. Knowing and trusting one day the lesson will ripen. And because they were so graceful with me, it allowed me to learn that lesson in a much less painful way. Because there are lessons that I've woken up to that because a person was not graceful, they were not kind. They were actually mean in my book. The fact now that I'm waking up to that lesson has caused me even more pain. So as we come into play with this particular chapter, I'm laying the foundation, the groundwork, for you to take a look at this whole concept that we're building into. And that is going to be looked at in depth in Chapter 10, Gratitude. But I'm going to backtrack a little bit. One of the things that I wrote in our lesson plan is a contest. And that contest is a two-word performance-based contract. If you consider a hyphenated word, one word, it would be considered a one-word performance-based contract. And I told Marsha what that hyphenated word is. Ever since I told you that hyphenated word, Marsha, have you pondered that much? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I really started seeing how contracts with myself actually help me stay in this grace that I talk about because when I feel grace, it's within myself and it's, as I explain grace, it's that flow of unconditional love that flows through me. Bingo. And because of that, I am able to do what I must do in my life. I don't second guess myself. I know what needs to be done. I do it. And I'm kind to myself. I'm good to myself. I don't judge myself. It's because of all that unconditional love that grace can move through me. Bingo. Ladies and gentlemen, did you catch the hyphenated word? We talked about it at length in Chapter 6 on when we were looking at You Get What You Pay For. Unconditional love. Ponder this notion that because of unconditional love, we're in it all the time. It becomes quite noticeable to me when I am conditionally loved. So my little paradox that we'll conclude with, Marsha, I can't disappoint you and not have a paradox in <laughs> class. I just can't. I mean, I think I would be at fault if I didn't have at least one paradox I throw into the blender to see what happens. 
pondering the notion that with unconditional love being always around us, trust is not needed. Thanks, all. <laughs> Did that just put everybody's mind into a knot? Did yeah, I just... <laughs> unconditional love. We're unconditionally loved. Unconditional love is the essence, the underlying supporting framework. Any contract that I'm going to get involved with that I sense is beneficial for myself and the person involved in the contract. Unconditional love is palpable in that. If it's not... I'll have nothing to do with it. When you talk about unconditional love, it brings me to two different places. One is from a dog or a cat or a pet, which they don't expect anything from you except your love. And the other is my Lord and Savior. He gave up so much sacrificially for mankind that he didn't have to do, and that's unconditional love to me he didn't have to do it doing something you don't necessarily have to do but you do it because you love somebody that much i have found that all the way through my life that the more i give out the love the more i get back the more i give out the negatives the more i get back so i've learned so much from all of you all of you have taught me so much and i would not have traded this for the whole world because of the personal development that I get to listen to of all the people and their great knowledge. And I just want to thank everybody that has been a part of this because it's really been mind-changing for me. I've grown with you, Carl, and I've talked to you a lot outside of class. I always knew you had it in yourself. Like I remember when you were going for that medical test, and I said, hey, it's all going to work out. And you were a little bit nervous. I was telling you it's all going to work out. And you came back, you're like, yeah, I'm fine. And, or you were worried about this or that thing. And you came out on top and said, I was okay. And I know you have that awareness. I know it exists. I've seen it. And I know you could be a great leader. You just have to find it within yourself to do it. Instead of worrying about barely if someone doesn't pay attention to the content I'm sharing online, know that it's still good content and I'm still Carl Davis. And even if somebody doesn't see the leader in me, I'm going to see it myself. And then in turn, I'll bet you other people will, you can awaken that awareness and other people will start to see the leader. Hey, you brought tears to my eyes, man. I love you. Thank you. No, that's a good thing because that means you, you touched me on the inside. And that's the best contract of all. <laughs> <laughs> my aha contracts, I used to look at them as a, a dead thing, like something that doesn't exist, something that it was abstract but it doesn't live. Seeing is how the world changes in different agreements I'm trying to make or I can't make or whatever happens. I, I know that contracts are actually, in the way I'm looking at the world, a living, breathing thing, like the grass I'm walking on. Or, you know, contracts are a living, breathing entity. And what gives them life is me by signing them to myself. 
Now I just have to get the car dealers and my employers to jump on the same thing, and I think the world will be a lot clearer place. That's my aha. Uh-huh. Thank you. <laughs> I think anybody can be more kind and compassionate if they want to be or if they have the desire to be, and it doesn't have to be for any reason at all. One major thing that I got out of this is reminds me of a song, Slow Down, Move Too Fast, Got to Make the Morning Last. Well, I need to slow down, and that's the one thing that I pulled out of this. I need to slow my mind chatter down to a crawl because it just takes over, and I get nothing out of it. And that's so, not where I want to go. So, Carl, so that was my if that's the task you want to accomplish... You can take the steps to make a contract for yourself and see how that works for you. My aha moment, it was the moment that I understood that a contract, especially a contract that I'm making with myself, is a contract that is going to be good, loving, kind. It's going to be have all those qualities that we talk about with unconditional love. It's going to be a contract that is going to be good for me and good for someone else because I don't want to give somebody something bad. If I have a an apple that just came from the tree and an apple that is kind of dried and rotten, I'm going to give the good apple to myself and I'm going to give the good apple to someone else. The ripple effect here of how a contract can be something that is good for me and good for all of us, actually. Time to close this class. What did you get out of this show? We truly want to know. Simply post in the comment box at the bottom of this page. After hearing so many people experience so many ahas, I wonder, are you ready to take this class yourself? We start new classes each time we have 12 or more people ready to go. You're listening to Marcia Sortino, Team Seekers, Team Captain. Get in touch to learn how to become one of Pay Me What I'm Worth's paid instructors today. And remember, before you go, think about who else would enjoy our classes. Post this show on your social networking sites to help more people enjoy some weekly wit and wisdom. Aloha. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.